Welcome to the Gritty Leaders Club, a podcast that asks the hard questions about leadership. Each episode explores the tension or paradox of leadership, asking how founders, entrepreneurs, and scale-up CEOs decide which way to turn. My name is Ian Windle. And I'm Ben Wales. Joining the two of us, we'll have guests, founders and leaders of successful businesses, sharing their stories, as well as authors, keynote speakers, and experts digging into the rough and smooth of leading. If you like what you hear, subscribe and join the club. Tell us your opinion, ask a question, or introduce a guest. We'd love to hear from you. Hi, Ian. Good to be back. Absolutely, Ben. I'm excited. We have a guest today, Luke Fisher. Luke is founder and CEO of a quick-growing company called Mo. They're about four and a half years old now. And Mo is an employee engagement company. Luke is going to talk about culture-defining moments. Engagement, I think, is a great topic. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. It's it's an essential topic, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure we've touched on Gallup Q12. We've talked about culture. We've talked about a whole load of stuff. I'm really excited, and I'll be really interested to hear what listeners think of Luke, because we've not only got somebody talking about culture and engagement, but we've got also somebody who's grown a business pretty quickly. And I'd be interested to hear what's the central idea that's really allowed them to scale something in fairly short order and get investment into the business and produce something that's starting to look like a really smart business that we all need to know about. Yeah, I, I agree. Engagement's a hot topic. And every company I work with, they're either they're doing the Gallup Q12, which you just mentioned, Mm. or the EMPS, Employee Net Promoter Score. So interesting to see what what Mo are doing. Absolutely. Take it away, Ben. Shall we have a listen? Yeah, go for it. Luke, hello. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's taken us a little bit of organisation and reorganisation to make this happen. So it's good to finally be here. You're the founder and CEO of a company called Mo. Yep. Mo creates culture-defining moments. So let's start there. Would you like to get the audience up to speed? Who is Mo? How do you fit in? What is it you do? Sure. So Mo, I quit my job in 2016. So Mm -hmm. I've been going at this for a little while now. We would play in the work technology space. Culture is typically associated to HR, but in my mind, it's the responsibility of everybody. Mm. We're a tech platform, so you can use us on the web, on mobile, integrated to something like Slack. And culture-defining moments. So one of the things that I I realized is most people tell stories in kind of the standout points. Um, those standout points, our brain processes and remembers like the key moments. So mm. yep. when an employee goes through their experience at work, There's many of those opportunities from the day that they get the job to the first day that they start all the way through till uh, they say goodbye to you and and move on to their next thing. And and there's key moments along that journey in which you can make a real difference to how they think about your organization, Okay. how they feel about your organization. And that's what we're helping companies to both create and capture such that people have a nicely documented version of their story. The big ambition for us is how do we create a more meaningful relationship with work? Lots of people go to work and see it as a means to an end rather than a means to an opportunity. So the more that we can influence that story to be better, uh, the better we've done, I think. Great. So let me see if I have this straight in my head, because it would be easy to think of Mo as an engagement company. And, And your view on that is there's a series of moments through anybody's journey with a company 
upon which engagement or lack of engagement is built? Yeah, maybe it's useful to give you a sense of my backstory. So um, sure. I worked for a big payments company and did a lot of work on their um, consumer analytics and loyalty application. So we'd take card payment data and understand spend and then look to influence how spend happened. So, And to do that, you have to influence the customer journey. The customer journey is more and more digital, which in turn creates more and more data and understanding. And as such, you could create and personalize the experience that they had such that they got greater value. That improvement to experience led to greater levels of engagement. And uh, through the eyes of the marketing leader, that means more money in some way, shape or form, either bigger basket size or more frequent spend or whatever it might be. And it occurred to me that HR leaders are trying to, or, or anyone that's attempting to be a kind of inspiring leader, is in so many cases doing the same thing, which is how do you enrich the experience that people have such that they're more engaged? Just in turn, when it comes to people, it's about giving you more discretionary effort than it is necessarily more money. So hopefully that makes some sense. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, so many companies think so long and hard about how do we engage with our customers? What are those touch points? How do we use each of those to light up that engagement? And what you've done is bring that same thinking inside. So what what are some of the key moments? So some of the simple and very, very obvious ones would be things like your first day or your last day, or the day that you get promoted or your birthday. Um, Some of them that perhaps you would expect, maybe not expect, is when somebody has been really thoughtful and considerate. Maybe they saw you struggling in a meeting or they bent over backwards to help you get through something that was really, really challenging. And Mm. we talk about these moments building relationships. So these shared experiences that can be highlights or could indeed be lowlights and how you can capture those moments and celebrate them. So a good example, even a simple one, like, so if I look at our internal feed of things that are going on, um, Mm -hmm. we've got things in here from happy birthdays through to people celebrating a year's anniversary to the team a couple of months ago, spending some time in the office doing a workshop, which was a novelty based on the fact that we've been in lockdown. So kind of sharing and, and, and showcasing those kind of stories that ultimately bring people together is what we're trying to get to. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to explore is how should a scale-up leader view engagement and, and listening? Perhaps that's by encouraging a culture that notices all of these moments and calls them out and engages in those moments of time so that we, we generate those connections. Is Yeah, so, I mean, how they should view engagement. I think employee engagement has been overcomplicated in many respects um, the yep. more it's been researched and I think really what what engagement talks to is being in flow with the task in which you're working on and being very active in how how ultimately engaged you are in the task the bit that we're uh, talking to is that there's more to work than just the task so the way in which the task gets done is delivered through the workflow and what the outcome is that you're trying to achieve. But importantly, also the process and then the people. And the people element is often the bit of collaboration that we forget about. Um, and we treat people like machines that are there to do and deliver a job when actually there's a real there's a real job to do in bringing them together. So how do you create that sense of togetherness 
is often through these shared stories in which our brain processes the moments that stand out for us. Okay, so you've raised a great question there, one I'd never thought of, which is we talk about engagement, but engaged in what? Yeah. And it's so easy to think it's engaged in the in the task or the mission or the, the vision, but perhaps it's engaged in the culture and engaged with our colleagues and the sort of the tapestry of that that journey and the ups and downs for everybody around us. Yeah, absolutely. It's like I often liken um, liken it to sport. And if you think about like some people just play sport because they enjoy it. Some mm. people are there to win. Some people enjoy the kind of camaraderie of being in a sports team. People are different. And that that's why moments are somewhat hard to describe because they're, you know, deeply personal and meaningful to individuals. Um, we did an event once and a lady called Maggie Alfonsi, who was a professional rugby player for England, uh, talked about her story of winning the World Cup. Um, yep. And she used this great line, which is, a moment is meaningless to most, but priceless to you. Lovely. And winning the World Cup for her meant everything because it was all about the hard work and effort and the opportunity to ultimately make her mum proud. And it's things like that that you you often in a work context don't think about the individual and like what this is meaning to them. Mm -hmm. So the more you can give consideration to like what is this experience for that individual, the more that you can give to them and and in turn probably the, the more you'll get from them. Okay, and that teases up another part here, which is it's so easy to think about spotting the high moments, the occasions that we can celebrate. But of course, that's that's our perspective as observers. And so a high engagement culture, a good culture, does that include individuals saying, hey, this really counted for me today, this was important for me? Or do you know what, this happened today, and it sucks. And it's a low point for for me, does it work? both ways as well they're engaging in that way and being vulnerable and sharing their own highs and lows yeah absolutely like a lot of this is at the heart of the um kind of inclusion debate around mm -hmm. how do i do i need to wear a mask to work like are you performing on a stage where you're the individual that you're not truly are because it saps loads of energy from you in being sure. that person or can you say do you know what i did have a bad day today and that not mean anything like other than you just had a bad day and therefore someone takes it on face value and I think yes absolutely like the what it comes down to is trust ultimately so if you if you can show vulnerability it's probably a point in which you would build trust so lots of people would talk about like high leverage moments due to vulnerability so mm. If you've had a really bad day, I don't know, let's say you're going for a promotion internally okay. and you really, really wanted it and you didn't get it. If you open up about it, you're probably quite likely to build a stronger bond with whoever the person is that you opened up to. Those bonds you come to rely on when you're doing and delivering the next project. So it's how you think about some of those things in building the richness in the way in which you operate, because the task can always change. Um, but how the people decide to work effectively together is what can make the difference. Yeah, and that's lovely. And you had me thinking about a book that we talk about often on this podcast, which is Lencioni's Five Behaviours of a Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, of course, he talks about vulnerability-based trust as the the foundational elements. But the you know the book doesn't talk about the other 
the other side of that that we you know we take a vulnerable leap we share hey i screwed up or i'm so glad i got that that so much was riding on that you know whatever yeah. it is with yeah, yeah. you know or you won't believe what's going on for me at home right now these sorts of things yeah and the other side of that equation of course is what's the response we get are we accepted when we yeah. share in that way yeah yeah indeed built on that if i know that i'm going to be accepted you know luke i can tell you your ideas are wrong uh, and i'm that much surer and certain that you'll probably accept that and we'll talk about it and work work with it and so we get into the the productive conflict which is to disagree productively that he that he talks about but it's this yeah. vulnerability balanced by acceptance that we're looking for i think yeah, I, th- I think for me, it comes down a lot to like consciousness of understanding and mm. emotional intelligence, which for, for most, whether they whether they like it or not, like human beings are emotional characters. And the greater level of awareness that you have over how you are influencing others, and the state that you're in when you're making decisions, probably the better the decisions will be that you make. So often this stuff can kind of feel fluffy because it's subconscious. But the reality is that it's what's driving the kind of interpersonal relationships that we've got with people that ultimately are to de- there to deliver the outcomes of the company. Mm, okay, so let me see. Um, we want people to show up as themselves and share their highs and lows and yeah, and let others become involved in those moments. And when they do, for them to feel acceptance and through that process, we're nourishing relationships, we're nurturing relationships and this is a way to get to uh, a strong culture yeah yeah so for me cultures especially as companies scale are are really difficult to pin down to a thing it's normally Mm. a team culture or your experience and work of in my mind is is governed by the relationships in which you have it's the human side that creates that sense of experience and how well accepted you feel and how well you feel like you can be you and perform at your best yeah yeah Great. And well, let's ask a, a topical question. We're in the middle of the second lockdown here in the UK. Yeah. 2020 revealed itself to us and then it did so again. <laughs> How has COVID lockdown, all of the pressures of this year, how has that impacted on on engagement on cultures? Um, I think it's it's tested them. It's also enhanced awareness of some of the problems that perhaps you get, you know, you can paper over the cracks when you're in the office and Mm -hmm. they don't seem so real. I think the overriding message that I hear from lots of people is communications become so transactional and uh, a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting is, you know, productive chat, but it's almost like we've become more of a machine through the screen kind of separating Mm. the conversation so we don't turn up and have niceties of conversation we just get straight to it get on with it get off the zoom call and then crack on with our work so whilst it's done quite a lot for productivity that sense of togetherness and achieving something together it's been hurt and and people are using words like it's lost its energy works kind of lost its soul like that feeling of it's not what it was like to be in the office and I think the the office necessarily isn't the answer. We just haven't come up with new ways to deal with that problem mm. yet. 
because I think most people are living in hope that will, you know, revert to normal in some way, shape or form. I think the interesting dilemma for me, and it's creating a massive opportunity for us, is employees have got to the point in which they have earned the trust that they should never really have to have proven themselves for. Yes. That they can work and be productive at home. And therefore, you're seeing this big swing of people that want to stay and work at home because it means they see their family more, they commute less, or they Mm -hmm. can have much more flexibility in how they decide to spend their day. So it's at the point in which we lose that kind of, oh, this is all going to revert back to normal when people start saying, actually, I'm really keen to carry on working from home that we're going to have to deal with some of those problems. Mm, okay. And there's a there's a giant opportunity in that because what I just heard is this is a period where actually the trust is front and centre. It's been proved. We're living and breathing it. Yeah. So rather than back to normal, maybe what we think about is how do we move forward and maintain that trust and bring it with us? Yeah. And I think what you're seeing is in the market, there's just two very evident paths in which people have gone down one is embrace that trust Mm -hmm. give flexibility encourage you know that this could be a a long-standing thing if it works for you and then others which are like we have to get back into the office we're going to put in monitoring software to understand when you're working all of those things and i think i mean that's where the winners and losers will come from in my mind like i i still think there's an it's an employee's or a candidate's market out there when it comes to good people finding jobs. And a lot of companies perhaps haven't realized when they talk about employer brand that all of these interactions and all of this communication and understanding that people are building based on the way in which you've dealt with things is actually representing how much people might want to work for your organization. Yeah, makes you think, makes you think, doesn't it? And I liked your starting point there that what 2020 has done is is pressure test a culture. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a good question is how how have we stood up? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What cracks your point? What cracks showed? Yeah, indeed. And I think for me, like the whole remote thing hasn't been the problem. It's just mm. been the catalyst to much, much greater level of progress in the way in which I think work was going already. It's just a case of what happens next, uh, which none of us have got a crystal ball. So we don't know. Okay, well, we we all need Mo, don't we? And then we can start weaving together these these moments. Absolutely. (laughs) So, you told us a bit of your your background, and Mo, I think is is four and a half now. Yep, yep, yeah, there and thereabouts. Yep, thereabouts, and you'll have been noticed for what we've been talking about. Others may have noticed you recently because you landed your second round of investment recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We closed our Series A funding round, which was quite fun. So we're now at six and a half million we've managed to raise. Congratulations. Indeed. So how do you think of um how do you think of Mo? Do you still think of yourselves as as a startup or do you are you a scale up? You know, how, how do you conceptualize the the business that's it's you know this ripe age of four and a half? kind of feel like most of the categorization is for the benefit of the external market. Uh-huh. Yeah. Internally, it kind of doesn't matter. Like we're a business, we're growing, we're focused on creating a meaningful relationship with work. All of the categorization feels like it's for the benefit of others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like we're at a stage where we've built a good level of validation that we have 
money in the bank, which always helps. And we hopefully are going to ride a really positive kind of tailwind off the back of the um, COVID situation. So I feel like we're in a very positive place. Oh, that, that's, that's a great answer. So in amongst there is, does it still feel great here? Yeah. Who cares whether we're startup, scale up or anything else? Does it feel good to be here? And then at this point, this increasing sort of belief in what we're doing. We've got some validation. We're seeing the opportunity. We've got some pace. So do we believe in ourselves? Yes, we do. Let's go get this. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, um, so we talk about our values quite a bit, mm-hmm. as okay. you might expect. Um, and our values are togetherness, belief and progress. Okay. And I think when you, when you look at fundraisers are a form of external validation in terms of the progress in which you've made. Mm-hmm. And I think it's useful for that sake to kind of have the fundraising almost like as a progress scale. But at the same time, relying on that as the indicator to progress can be really dangerous. Sure. Because otherwise you just get on the drug of VC money and you're stuck on it. So I think it's useful validation that provides that belief. But yeah, I don't think it should be necessarily your sole measure of progress. Got it. And yeah, and on that point of, you know, the drug of VC money, and I know you're, you know, you're viewing that in, in a healthy way. But when you founded Mo, and it wasn't Mo, was it? You had a different name to begin no, with. No, it wasn't. It was Thanksbox. So when you founded Thanksbox back then, four and a half years ago, did you know that you would be a VC funded business and that was the journey you were setting out to go on? Um, I don't think we were dead set on VC. We knew we needed money. Um, uh-huh. yep. <laughs> so we, me and the co- my co-founders, you know, self-funded for a bit and then ran out of money individually. So needed to raise external capital. We did a couple of rounds of angel money mm-hmm. using like SEIS and EIS. And then we got to the point really where we had kind of, we had proven, we use quite a, or we have relied on quite a lot, David Scott's model for predictable and repeatable growth. Okay. And the kind of progression through that framework. And we knew that we were getting to a stage where the next thing really was about scalability and how you deliver scalability. You, you, need, you just need more people to be able to throw out the problems that you know are significant. The only way to do that is either grow exceptionally quickly um, or take take some money in. We did have some options for angel money. Uh, we did get quite a lot of advice not to take VC money too early. But to be honest, I think they've been really helpful. They, if, As long as you get the right people, they bring much more than money and they, they keep a good level of accountability and focus too. So it's good. Mm, well, well, tell us about that because, of course, it's a it can be a really loaded time. We need investments. We're burning through cash that we've got remaining in in the bank account so you know in a sense it's easy it's too easy to think of ourselves as sitting on a, a ticking time bomb as it were yet we want to make a, a balanced good decision find the right investors so for those that haven't done it before what are your top couple of tips for how do we approach private equity money vc money investments of this type how do we go about that so I think I think there's two two things. One is around the process. One is around the expectation. Mm-hmm. So I think if you read anything online, you'll probably be terrified about the idea of taking VC money. Yeah. Um, the concept of a ticking time bomb and the pressure and accountability and all of that stuff. I think bless 
they're not they're nowhere near as bad as the uh, the reading <laughs> that you would do makes them out to be um they've been really good and really supportive for us mm-hmm. and we're we're fortunate to have two institutional investors now on our cap table so like first thing would be they're not as bad as you think but it does give you a healthy level of accountability yeah which is useful but if that's what you've signed up for and you want to grow a reasonable size business then you know that accountability only serves for um, additional motivation so I'd say that's the first thing. And then from a process perspective, I mean, we just, we've run both of ours like a sales process. So who do we know? Who can we get referrals to? Who have we spoken to before? How do you load up the top of your funnel? Who are you going to have to go to cold? What are your, what are your entry routes to those people? Get as many top of funnel as possible. And then we literally gate it through stages like um, you would a sales process. So how many have you contacted? How many have got a first meeting? How many are you in pre-term sheet due diligence with? How many have you got a term sheet from? Yeah. Then make your choice into due diligence and then done. Um, so I think that was useful advice that I got. It means that you create enough tension in the round. It means that you create enough opportunity. So that would be a recommendation. Yeah. Okay. Another probably just make sure you leave enough time mm. would be the other one. I think often I read a, a great quote the other day from Warren Buffett, which was something along the lines of, cash to a company is like uh, breath is to a human being which is uh you only really value it when you're running out of it so um, yeah uh, and it kind of makes you realize that um you need to plan for these things yeah okay and yeah in both of your answers there there's something about enter into this wholeheartedly let's run a, a full proper process engaging in it fully but also let's be able to wholeheartedly get behind the idea that we're asking for investment in because we are going to be held to account to deliver on on that and make it all come true so we've got to believe in it yeah uh, completely and i think it's the first time that you take a significant amount of money it's like it's validation for you but it there is a moment of realization when the cash hits the bank which is oh wow okay we have set ourselves up to do this now now we've actually got to do it yeah um yeah and speaking to lots of people i don't think that feeling ever goes away regardless of how big the round gets or how big the company is um Mm. especially if you're in that kind of founding position so um yeah yeah and of course you're you're in one of those moments now if you like the second round has has landed yeah the majority of that will be sitting in the bank account if not all of it right now so luke what do you do in a moment like this second round is here you can get on with it now is it just uh you know foot to the floor and, and crack on or what's happening in Mo right now? I, I wish it was a big celebration. Um, <laughs> but given that we've been in lockdown, we haven't we haven't been able to do anything, uh-huh. not even really raise a glass other than one on Zoom. So that would have been nice, but that wasn't possible. So we're in a, I think it's always important when the money's coming to the bank to just zoom out, like look at what's working and what's not working. And that's uh-huh. exactly what yep. we're doing. Our market's had a load of investment into it which creates an interesting dynamic and something that evolves quite quickly. COVID's also shaken the world of work and created quite a jolting effect this year. So there's lots of consideration and uh, I guess different use case to our products that we've seen this year. So how do we best make the most out of this opportunity Uh, rather than in 12 months time, once we've consumed a big part of the money, uh, then thinking about it. So how how do we use this to really supercharge us? and create an opportunity to reflect to make sure that we do supercharge and focus our efforts in the right area. 
Okay, so a moment to to zoom out, really understand where are we standing, what is the market around us, what's happening, and then how do we turn that to our advantage to propel us forward? How do we supercharge, as you just said? Yeah, indeed, exactly that, exactly that. Fabulous. Well, let's change tack slightly. Um, so you're the founder, you're the the leader here. What's the what's the secret of your success, Luke? That's a big one. I'll rely on the answer that all, I always give. So I was really fortunate in the position in my previous company. I, I got to go on there, management development, leadership development. I got the CEO as my mentor. I got an exec coach, all of that stuff. And I think the the thing that stuck out to me most was one of high self-awareness, build sufficient understanding because you can't control anybody else. You can only kind of control yourself. So the better you understand you, your actions and how they impact others, the more likely you'll be in a position to create the level of influence and inspiration that's required to be a leader in the modern age. Great. I 100% agree with that. And what's been the toughest moment in these four and a half years for you as a leader coming at it in that way? What's been the what's been the toughest moment? That's a tough one. There's been quite a lot of those. <laughs> I think probably the most terrifying times are always when you when you nearly run out of money. Um, <laughs> because you know that people have bought into a a, a grand ambition and a mission in which you're championing and it's primarily a view in which you want to change the world in that way and people believe it too and they want to change the world in that direction too and when you see that your bank account is quite short and you might not make payroll they are typically the most stressful not because you might not be able to pay yourself but more because you've got a bunch of people that are also committing their time blood sweat and tears to making it happen and you might have a big consequential impact on their lives too so yeah there that that feels like the worst kind of moment but thankfully we've never got to the point where it completely cashed out it just a little bit close sometimes yeah no i i i remember that exact moment really well from about 13 years ago i was in i was in that moment so yeah i recognize that and it's the rub isn't it of a a powerful vision and purpose to the business and a change the world way of approaching things. And you're right, people buy into that. That's part of why they're here. And then if there's moments where we're not quite sure how we're going to deliver that and moments where we're not quite sure that we can pay them back or literally pay them for being a part of that, that's tough, isn't it? And and does that come down to personal grits and grin and bear it and keep going and keep the belief high for the, the team? Or how do you get through those moments? I think it's one of the hardest things of like everybody always thinks that the leadership position is the luxurious one because they think you get to tell people what to do. Yep. And I think in reality, you have the most amount of information. And if you're, you know, even if you've got a, a hint of intelligence with that level of information, it becomes powerful and it leads to a level of understanding that most don't get the opportunity to have. Mm-hmm. And I think the level of resilience that you need to make sure that you can use that information but still create a sense of belief is super important. And I think for me, the the opportunity to work on yourself is always the important one that you need to find some time for. Yeah, great. And let's finish on a 
on a high. So the second round has landed. You're four and a half years in. You've got some validation. So now as you zoom out and figure it all out and you know and dream up the coming period, what's possible? Blimey. That's a, that is a big question. What's possible? Um, I could give you a really short answer here that doesn't really answer your question, which is change the world. Uh-huh. Um, but I owe you something more than that. Um, what's the big opportunity? I think for us now is how do we create a really breakout position? And I think the uh, momentum and energy that you feel, um, we're, we're, I can feel that really happening now, like this energy build, momentum build in the company. And I'm really excited. And I think it's that true breakout position in a fairly crowded uh, and confused market is the bit that I'm most looking forward to. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah. we we can change the world doing what you're doing. You can change the world. The team can change the world. But the opportunity right now, with the investment that's sitting there ready to go, is to break out and create that platform where Mo can go on and have that impact. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, like that's it's kind of the atypical Series A stage. Is mm-hmm. you've proven a lot but now you need to transition to true kind of scalability. And I think that's the, it's going to be another fun stage. Well, good good luck with that. Um, my confidence is high as I talk and listen and watch. We'll have you back to tell the story uh, a little bit later on if you'll join us again. Yeah, would love to. Thanks ever so much for having me. I hope, hope some of it was useful. Thank you, Luke. Okay, well, Ian, you were keen to hear about the idea at the heart of a fast-growing company. Before I ask you about that, let's point our audience in the right direction to find out more about Mo. So there is the website, mo.work, mo.work. On the website, easily found is an overview. They call that the Moverview. And also there's a podcast called Moments, and this is about the changing world of work. So Ian. Well, I haven't met Luke, but I got a lovely impression of the guy. The first thing I picked up was a really well-rounded individual, and that really impressed me. And one of the things he said, which was, the better you understand yourself, the better leader you'll be. Yeah. And I, and I, and I thought, amongst all the conversation about VC and investments and developing a business, you know, it comes right back to that, which is, if you really know who you are, you're going to be a better leader. So I, I, I love that comment that, you know, you could almost miss, if you like, but that was lovely. It said a lot about Luke. Yeah. Uh, an awful lot of really interesting stuff about growing a business, taking investments, really fascinating. And also the thing he talked about, the pieces that were missing in this age at the moment over Zoom, over Teams, of the togetherness, the soul, the energy being missing. And the fact we might have productivity, which we might not have productivity, actually, having listened to Linda Gratton from London Business School last week, which said we're just working longer hours and we might not be any more productive. But the fact that they're actually looking to really embolden, to really address some of these things, which we can build on even in the in, in the post-COVID world, where we are going to get back together. We need more t- togetherness. We, we need more soul in businesses. We need more energy. We can never have enough of these things. Mo have really got a passion for putting this back into a business. Yeah, culture-defining moments. It's an interesting idea. And and when Luke first mentioned culture-defining moments to me, I immediately thought of a couple of moments in the businesses I've led. And then I thought of, and I bet bet you've done this as well, I thought of, you know, those leaders who who say, and it's quite hackneyed and, and a bit 
corny, but they say culture is what people say about you at the bar, in the pub, after work. And, you know, and somehow that never, never conjures up a positive image. But what Luke did was, was get me thinking, we shouldn't be looking for two or three culture-defining moments. We're looking for tens, hundreds, every day. And they exist between each of our people, mm. and not just between all of us. Really, really thought-provoking. So thank you, Luke. Ian, we're back in a fortnight. And what are we doing? We're going to be talking about lazy leadership. What it is. Lazy leadership. You mentioned that on one of our first episodes. I'll see you back here for that. See you then, Ben. Cheers, Ian. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gritty Leaders Club. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and join the club. If you'd like to ask a question or offer an opinion or even suggest a guest, Please get in touch with Ian at ianwindle.com or Ben at benwales.com. We'd love you to join our club and tell us what you think.